Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss sustainable productivity and habit formation while avoiding the allure of hustle culture. Every episode, we interview guests who have got a solid habit and productivity game. We're your hosts, Joey. Hi. And Jeremy. He's Jeremy. Joey's a published author. I'm self-published, though. Has a background in psychology. Not registered, though. Has a deep interest in humans. Only some of humans. And a strong interest in habits and connections specifically. Mm, that's true. And Jeremy is a software developer with ADHD. And when he's not trying to come up with ways to stop himself burning rice, he enjoys doing a three-hour morning routine and surprising colleagues by doing sets of push-ups during meetings to keep the energy high. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Focus and Chill podcast. We're lucky to have with us today Aneta Pizag, who is a workplace strategist, workstyle coach, and author. She helps create human-centric workplaces that make it easier to tackle the challenges of work while maintaining a healthy body and mind. She's the author of two books, Create a Thriving Workplace, a guide for designing spaces where work communities and businesses flourish, and 35 Smart Choices, which offers practical advice on how you can play to your strengths, find your flow, and improve the quality of your work and your life. Great to have you on the show, Aneta. Thanks, Sharabi and Joy. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, welcome, Aneta. Could you tell us about the projects you're concentrating on during your focused hours? It very much depends on my circumstances. I'm currently in a transitional phase in my life. Recently, having published my second book, 35 Choices, I'm now spending a lot of time researching workplace trends, what companies are doing well, what they are struggling with, and uh, what is the next big challenge where I might be able to make a difference. So tends to fill my morning hours in general, and also working in my consulting business, doing smallish workplace change projects and business development activities. And uh, in the afternoon, Right now, I'm working in a customer-facing role, which I can't call at all focused hours, but it's a really great balance. I tend to be more focused in the morning, so that's when I'm doing deep work. And in the afternoon, it's just a head-spinning job with plenty of distractions. And it's incredibly satisfying and delightful, but it's just the perfect time for that to do that after 1 p.m. Yeah, that that sounds like an optimal balance of being able to get the deep work in in the morning. I'm a bit jealous because I'm the other way around. I tend to have my mornings filled with crazy customer support and not really knowing what's going to happen. And then the afternoons tend to be a bit quieter. And I 
I think it would be better if it was flipped the other way around. And I know you talk about that in your book as well, that you talk about chronotypes and how it works better for you if you can do your deep work in the morning. Absolutely. Have you found yeah. that through experimentation that it, you you are able to get a lot more done in the morning based on your energy levels? Uh, there were a few, yes, there were a few uh, experiences in my life and I had a chance to experiment. And one of them, after I uh, finished working in a corporate role and started working on my first book, Create a Thriving Workspace, I actually spent many weeks in a small uh, seaside town in South Australia. And that's where I mapped out my book and I did uh, a lot of the research and writing. And there were no absolutely constraints around how I worked. So I eventually got really tuned into what my body and mind was telling me. And I found myself in a natural rhythm, going for a walk in the morning, uh, doing a couple of hours, writing, taking a break, going to a different place, doing another couple of hours of writing, and then had lunch, and then I do emails in the afternoon, and then for the rest of the day, I just chilled or read books or listened to audiobooks. And uh, the rhythm was very important for me to notice how important it was, uh, but also the pace at which I change my environment. And I tend to find that my mind is more fresh throughout the day when I have the opportunity not to work in one location all the way, all, all day long. But uh, to sit in a spot, you know, I'm just typing away on my laptop and a little bit later I stand up, move to a different spot. And uh, this beach house in South Australia had many lovely spaces. Sometimes I was sitting in a garden. Sometimes I was working on a beach and it didn't feel like work. And ironically, those were some of the best times when my I, I got into a state of flow and I get most done. That sounds amazing, being able to work at the beach and in the garden. I'd like to be able to do that too. Now, I wanted to ask along those lines in terms of being at the beach, and you also mentioned walking. I read in your book, you have these great anecdotes at the start of the choices. I've only read two of the 35 choices so far, but I've liked what I've got up to. And you talk about hiking as an analogy is that one of the things that you like to do in your spare time in terms of when you're not working? Is that Ab- your go-to? Absolutely. I, I, unfortunately, I'm not doing as much hardcore hiking as I used to. Uh, I would rather say I do lots and lots of nature walk these days, uh, not with a heavy backpack. But it's as critical to my mental health and focus as it's ever been. I try to do some walk every single day. I'm lucky to live uh, in a part of Melbourne where there are lots of gardens near me. And there are so so many good things that go for nature walks. Nature itself is healing, moving my body and also being unplugged. I make a point of spending some time every day being unplugged, especially after I noticed probably well over 10 years ago that my attention span started to drop. And I know that this is a global trend, but I decided to, I wouldn't say that it reverses all the societal effects on my mind, but if I try to spend some time every day uh, unplugged along with my thoughts, it really helps me staying focused when I actually need to focus. And I allow my mind to wander. 
And interestingly, that's sometimes the best time for great ideas to come to the surface. There are a lot of anecdotes in the book that popped into my head while, for example, I was walking to the gym or sitting in a garden and thinking about nothing in particular. The ideas just popped up into my head. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, similar to that, we were talking last week about you've got a waterproof notebook in your shower because yep. you have inspiration often during your shower time. Uh, well, Sounds like you're really optimizing the opportunities for inspiration and making sure you can capture them immediately. That, that's right. I'm yet to meet a person who, who tells me that they don't have great ideas in the shower. Yeah. And there is, again, it's possible to explain it with, uh, in scientific ways. I, I don't think we need to go in there just in this conversation, but if, if it's a productive time, just because it doesn't look like work, why wouldn't we treat it as something precious? And I tell people around me, you know, when I live with my family and I live with my partner, I always told them not to talk to me after I finished my shower. For half an hour, I want to be left alone because I come out of the shower with a headspace that feels beautiful, it feels clear, and yet it's filled with ideas that I, I just need to act on because they are fleeting and I want them, don't want them to go without being captured some way. Yeah, wonderful. And in, in terms of your morning routine, you're mentioning the deep work. Is there any, any other things that you do to get into the zone? Uh, and set up your morning for success? Uh, I need to be honest about it, that my morning routine is essentially non-existent. I'm incredibly undisciplined about that. And, and I was actually having an insight just this morning why that be the case. And uh, I realized that I had a childhood in which I lived, I followed a very disciplined routine up till I turned around 18 or 19 years old not just school routine, but I had lots and lots of extracurricular activities, math classes, physics classes, language, dancing, you name it. And part of me, even after all these years of personal development activities, part of me still rebels against, you know, driving my days to be a parent discipline. Uh, and what I focus on in general is creating the right conditions and the right physical environment that makes it easier for me to do things that are actually productive and healthy and beneficial. In terms of morning activities, there has been a period, there was a period when I did lots of journaling and uh, that really helped me because my head was full of things that just had to you know, had to be released. I needed to quiet my mind in the morning. A lot of things were happening in my personal life at that time. There was a period when I did lots and lots of walking. I lived in a place where walking was very appealing option in the morning. And there was a time uh, when I woke up in the morning, opened my eyes, jumped, you know, in front of my laptop and started writing. And that worked because I woke up with answers already in my head. It, it was almost like channeling, and I'm not a very spiritual person. 
But the experience was like the answers to questions that I've been working on just came to me from somewhere outside of me, and all I needed to do is type it down. So it, it really depends on the circumstances how I start my days, but there is one thing that I'm very uh, focused on and very consistent with, and that's how I protect my headspace and how I protect my emotions in the morning. Because I notice that if I'm angry, if I'm disappointed, if I'm stressed, for the type of work that I do, it's detrimental to my productivity. And everybody does different work. For some people, stress is could be a fuel if it's not extreme stress. Anger can be a fuel. But for what I'm doing right now, it's a barrier. So I avoid using social media in the morning. I avoid doing excessive emailing. Uh, I'm not reading news in the morning because news tend to be negative and uh, by their nature to capture attention. I'm not getting much phone calls, but I tend to keep my mobile phone on vibrate and very often not even the same room where I work. And I try to avoid confrontational conversations, not that it would occur very often, but again, there have been periods in my life when uh, I was involved in very stressful projects that were happening in Europe. So the conversations typically happened either early morning or late at night. And I noticed that if those conversations happened early in the morning, I found it very difficult later on to regain my focus and actually get things done. Mm. So it sounds like you, even though you say you don't have a morning routine, it sounds like you are quite deliberate with the, the range of activities that you'd like to do, that there are activities that are good for you to do in terms of things like journaling and walking and writing and activities that you absolutely don't want to do. And it sounds like you, you're you listening to what your body and your, your mind need each morning and you're choosing from a, a range of activities that are, are going to serve you. That's my intention, Jeremy, indeed. And uh, it, it's a journey, you know. On some days I'm doing better than on others. But I'm having quite a clear idea of what my boundaries are and quite a strong intention to protect them. Yeah, that sounds really important. I'd like to hear more about your your tips on how you personally and perhaps also what you'd see for other people can do to optimize productivity. We were talking about that you, you could share what you do yourself, but potentially also maybe share a few of the smart choices that are within your book and probably don't have time to go through all of them, but you could give us a bit of a, a taster of what what typically work works for people Absolutely. in terms of optimizing productivity. Uh, the very first step that I recommend for everyone is to be very clear of what productivity means. And in my, in my own language, I normally use the word performance rather than productivity because in some circles, productivity focuses on the speed of doing work and minimizing errors. And that uh, definition of productivity doesn't strictly apply to the type of work that I do. It applies to many other people's work that they do, but we need to be very clear, not only what we need to achieve, but what sort of a headspace that uh, we need to be in to be really good at what we do. And the type of work that I do requires a lot of empathy and relationship building and listening 
with curiosity and with an open mind and communicating clearly, sometimes about uh, emotionally charged topics. After all, my work is to help people dig deep and find answers to their own questions. So in order for me to be able to do that work well, I need to have a quiet mind. I need creativity and I need curiosity and I need to feel relaxed and at peace. So I need a work routine and an environment that helps me with that. And some of the strategies that I use in my work, some of them are well on, you know, batching tasks. It really works well for me if I do all my emails in one morning. Sometimes I do two weeks of emails or one week of one week's worth of email in one morning. Sometimes all I do for four, six hours is researching and reading. Sometimes I'm meeting three, four people back to back for having conversations that helps building better relationships. And it puts me in a state of flow when I don't need to change my headspace all the time. And that makes me not only more focused, but it's very energizing rather than draining. I, I know that generally people find attention switching very exhausting mentally. There is, again, a lot of science behind that. I noticed it also in my own experience. So that's the reason that attention switching is something I try to minimize. The environment is very important for me. Daylight, natural views. I'm lucky to live in a place that I look out the window right now and I see the sky and I see treetops. And it's not a million dollar view, but it's a view that makes me, it, it puts me in an expensive state of mind. I can think openly, look at things from a bird's eye perspective, and it gives me the confidence that I'm able to influence the issues that are important to me. How I spend my break time is critical. It's very easy when we are taking a break from work to drop into an activity that exhausts our brain exactly the same way than our work does. Watching short videos, uh, reading news, scrolling on the internet, uh, playing online games. And I do a fair amount of those, but I try not to do that at that part of the day when I my intention is to get back to work from that break and be able to focus and think clearly. So when I get the chance, I take a break, I go for a walk or listen to music or make a cup of tea or just for a few minutes sit and do nothing. And it is really helping me to just settle my mind. I actually noticed, interestingly, that say I go in the kitchen and put together a sandwich or start cooking dinner. Very often, I have the best ideas coming to me at that time and, and my partner sees me over and over again with a notebook in the kitchen, writing things down in between, you know, stirring the dish. Because my body is moving and I'm not thinking of work and therefore I can think more expensively about issues. Some other things that I do for my productivity is if I can't change my environment, I work with it. If there is a lot of noise around me, sometimes person with a leaf blower is coming or the neighbor is washing their backyard with a pressure washer. I can't block it out and I know how sensitive I am to noise. So if I do something that is distracting, 
I do something that I need to focus on and I find noise too distracting, I put it aside and choose a task that I can do either easily or maybe distraction can even be beneficial. And distraction can be incredibly beneficial, for example, when you are focusing on solving problems where you really need to think outside the box. You can't criticize your ideas. You can't filter your ideas because your mind is so scattered. You just go in ridiculous directions, but sometimes those ridiculous directions give it, takes you to the exact place where you need to be to solve a problem. Uh, if it's too hot or too cold where I work, when you are really cold, your focus narrows and you are more analytical. When you are really warm, you are warm as a person as well. And you are better at developing relationships. So if I'm hot or cold wherever I'm working, and it's not actually supporting what I'm doing, I try to find a task in which my environment is helpful. If I'm angry for whatever reason, and I'm not an angry person, but if I find myself angry, I really find it helpful to channel it into something that's productive. And I wrote some of the best received articles in that headspace when I was just desperate to make sure that whatever I experience will not be experienced by other people. Of course, I need to be careful not just to hit the publish button as soon as I put a whole lot of rent on a page. I need to think it through, but I actually ask for feedback on those pieces from people and they don't sense that uh, the message came from an angry place. But I knew once it was out there that it was very important to say what I had to say and that it had the potential to help other people. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like those posts would come across as being a lot more real and authentic. The part about temperature was really interesting. I've never considered that. I'd never turn the heating on in my house. And maybe I need to consider that, that if I have a session with a team where I'm trying to create bonds, maybe I should put some more jumpers on. So that I'm, yeah. I'm not cold. It, it is fascinating. You know, some people say even if you are just holding a warm mug, mm. you will find it easier to, you know, feel a sense of connection with the people around you. And that's what fascinates me. You know, I was talking earlier about what a disciplined life I had. I had a very analytical focus. My primary focus in my teens was math and physics. and my whole worldview was developing around the idea that rational thinking is the key to solving any problems and analysis and intelligence. And it was more in my 20s. And, you know, after I left university, then this view started to shift. And I started to become more and more interested in those aspects, aspects of human nature that are unpredictable and irrational and quirky. Uh, every month I'm receiving research summaries about how the environment impacts human psychology. And that's one of my most, you know, delightful read every month. It's, I include it in the book. Some of them are not related to work performance at all, but just really interesting. If you go for a run and if you drink something that's labeled sport drink that's dyed to pink, you will run faster and with less effort. 
compared to when you are given exactly the same drink without the pink dye. There is no reason yeah, to crazy. explain that, right? But but that's how we are wired. So I love working with you know these aspects of human psychology where things that we do, some of the things we do seem counterintuitive or don't make sense at all. But at the end of the day, you realize that they work for you. Mm. Yeah, the the other thing on that note, you were talking about how you, you you see the sky and you can see the trees, and that that leads to almost more creative thinking, and that that's not very intuitive either. But it seems quite important too. I've been talking with my wife about this because we I think we heard about something similar from the Huberman Lab podcast where he was saying that if you're in a room with high ceilings, then it has a similar effect. And she's in this, I'm in this quite large room and she's in this tiny study nook and she she says a lot of the time it's good for her because she is doing very analytical work. But then at, at other times she would like to actually change spaces. Is that part of what you do as well, that depending on the type of work, would you move from the room that you're in right now where you see the trees in the sky? Do you have a, a more cave-like room that you use for analytical work? I do it more intuitively than consciously, but probably because this has been my headspace for well over 10 years. Talking about cave-like rooms, you know, the type of work that I do, and it's so intense and so exposing. I always had that view that for you to really feel well, whatever you do at work or taking a break, you need daylight. But in the workplace where I am, the best place where I like to take a break is in the basement. It's a tiny little room, no noise. It feels like a womb. It's incredibly protected, safe place. And it feels very far away from the noise of the world and all the busyness of it, which I wouldn't say it was confronting, but it, it was very interesting to realize that one of my deepest had belief around daylight was I had to change my perspective on that based on my own experience. And I know a lot of people don't mind working in basements. I know a lot of tech developers enjoy basements, and I never really, I never criticized, but I could never personally relate. I thought if it works for them, that's fine. I couldn't do that. But now, based on this experience, I actually can relate how windowless room can feel really like the place where you want to be. Yeah, interesting. As we talk, I have my shutters closed because I, I don't want the daylight coming in and, and also because I'm working next to a shared courtyard and I don't like the, the sensation of people looking at me while I'm working. But it's interesting that dynamic between daylight and resting. One more thing I would like to add about daylight that I noticed that if I'm in a room with windows, I sometimes don't open the blinds. Knowing that there is a window sometimes is enough for me to feel that I'm connected to the world. And there is a tiny little light filtering through that's enough for me to know that it's daytime and whether it's cloudy or whether it's sunny. But yeah, I have to have a window most of the time when I work. But if the blind is done, I'm cool with that. Again, it's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of escaping daylight, I'd like to go into a bit more about how you switch off for the night, you're talking about going for walks and spending time in nature. And you mentioned unplugging as well. And I'd like to 
uh, perhaps unpack that a little bit more? One of the things that helps me switch off at night is make sure that I'm physically and mentally tired. Not being mentally tired by the end of the day is not hard work. But uh, when I don't get have the time to walk, I do other activities. Uh, I love doing Pilates classes. And the type of Pilates classes I do are very exhausting. Very exhausting for me. So by the time I walk home from the gym, and the gym itself is around 25 minutes walk from my place. I'm tired. Uh, I try to eat well, again, with various degrees of success. But on days when my diet is relatively clean, again, I find it easier to fall asleep at night. It really helps to have a, some level of delineation between work and life. And there have been times in my life, especially while I was working on my books, when everything blurred into, you know, one long day with one long day and night together. And that wasn't very healthy. But uh, these days, I actually don't feel a strong need um, to have a particular ritual to switch off, probably because the way my currently my days are structured, it really helps. I have the morning focusing on business and workplace strategy. The afternoon is focusing on customer experience. And then the rest of the day is a little bit of a research and then I unwind naturally. But here, there is one thing that I would like to mention here that came out of my research. According to a, a certain uh, framework, there are two types of people. One of them are called integrators and one of them are called segmenters. Please forgive me, I can't actually quote the name of the person who's done this research. It's included in the references of my book. Integrators are those people who don't need a strong line between work and life. They can blur things together and still feel healthy and balanced. And there are the segmenters. Those people benefit more from having a specific place to work and a specific place to switch off. They need more strict rules around the time when they work and the time when they don't work. And they also benefit from using one computer for work and a separate computer for leisure. There are many different ways of uh, creating boundaries between work and non-work related activities. I think I've always been an integrator. I never really had a lot of challenge with uh, living in a life where work and non-work are often blurred together as long as I didn't become a workaholic. And workaholism comes from perfectionism. It comes from external pressures. It comes from sense of insecurity. So probably what's more important for me is to make sure that my inner life is balanced, that I feel secure, I feel calm, having a clear sense of who I am. And... In that uh, psychology and in that physiology, if I do what feels uh, in integrity with who I am, then blurring work and non-work is not going to be a problem. Does it make sense? Sorry, mm. I, I, I felt I was going yeah. on a bit of a rant here. <laughs> no, it makes sense. And maybe it also depends on when you're talking about the inner life, maybe how you're feeling about work as well. Because there are probably times where I'm really enjoying work and I don't mind, say, getting a, a message from my colleagues in the evening. 
But if I'm feeling quite dissatisfied with work, then it just feels like, oh man, you're emailing me now. I just, I, I don't want to hear about it. But it, it can be, you're talking about workaholism as well. And there's probably that line of enjoying it too much where it interrupts other activities too. So is that part of it that say even an integrator probably does need to regulate how much they are working otherwise it, it's going to be affecting other parts of their life i believe so but it's one of the best problems to have if people work too much because they find so much joy in doing that mm. yeah that's a ve- that's a very lucky place to be in my opinion mm. definitely All right, well, we're going to change gears a little bit and ask about habits that you would like to remove from your life. It might either be bad habits or habits that you do that are now no longer relevant for you. But something that I used to do is lots and lots of stock switching. And it was well over 10 years ago when I arrived at work. And in my personal life, a lot was going on, and I just had to clear my head so technically what I was doing is journaling but it's something that I was doing two minutes writing two minutes work analytical work with spreadsheets some other thoughts came into my mind wrote it down so that I can focus another two minutes analytical work and it didn't take too long half an hour one hour to feel incredibly exhausted I wish I had the courage to approach my manager to say please give me half an hour because I need to deal with whatever is in my head right now and then I will be 100% myself for the rest of the day I didn't have the knowledge I didn't have the courage and the clarity to know that this would have been the best choice for me to do but now I have enough experience and insight that this sort of attention switching is hugely exhausting and stressful so I don't do that anymore. As I mentioned, I try to avoid uh, any sort of activity during my focused hours and early in the day that could leave me in a negative mood. And despite all the tools that I have from various trainings about dealing with negative emotions, none of them are as effective as getting the timing of those conversations right. Or when I'm expecting possibly a dis- disappointing news via the email. I don't get into my mailbox until I am actually ready to deal with those news, whether it's a person that I find it challenging to communicate with, whether it's an opportunity that didn't turn out well. Those things happen in the work life of all of us. And we all have selected people in our lives so that when you receive an email from them, you already just cringe. That's not going to be good news. So I don't go near them until I'm ready. And it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, sticking my hand in the sand and avoid problems. I just make sure that I address them where I'm in the right headspace to actually do something about it. Some of the bad habits, I still procrastinate. I still multitask. And some of that comes from self-doubt. Lack of confidence, you know, imposter syndrome. And that's something that either I need to keep learning to live with or to shift. I noticed, interestingly, during COVID that I became 
quite sensitive to criticism, much more so than I used to be. So that contributes to, you know, that uh, self-talk and self-doubt that I need to work through. And I find coaching very helpful. I find reading and certain podcasts, listening to certain podcasts are incredibly helpful, having wonderful people around me. And when, yeah. when, it, came, when it came to breaking those, those bad habits, could you tell us a bit more about any resources or books or philosophies that you found uh, most helpful in, in breaking those bad habits or perhaps even creating your good ones? You mentioned Haberman podcasts, right? Jeremy, it's something that I only stumbled upon a few months ago. And I find his uh, podcast incredibly insightful. And one of the things that I like about uh, Haberman podcasts is they are very long and they are very deep and detailed. How long? His podcasts are like a couple of hours long each, right? I've, I've seen yeah. interviews with him that went over three hours. And... I really enjoy that, not only because it's very informative, very holistic perspective on physical and mental health and performance, but also when you listen to a podcast like this, by definition, you don't multitask, by definition, you don't switch your attention, you go deep because it's so long. I prefer not to consume um information from sound bites and TikTok videos and Facebook posts. They have their place, I guess. I spend very little time on uh, social media, perhaps outside of LinkedIn. But if uh, I get the chance to do one thing for a few hours or even just for half an hour at a time, I feel that it's a very good way of spending my time in a way that leaves me focused, informed, and self-aware. Uh, a book that I read earlier this year is called Stolen Focus from Johan Hari. And it's a brilliant book. Uh, it's not exactly something that gives you great tips for improving your productivity and focus because it points out all the societal influences that are largely outside of your control. But even understanding those forces, I find they are very helpful. And in fact, what Johan Hari encourages readers to do is to join forces together and to work on shifting those major societal forces that are contributing to us losing our focus. And it covers a very broad range of topics. It doesn't only talk about social media use, although that's clearly an important one, but it's talking about diet and stress and lifestyle choices and air pollution and mainstream healthcare's approach to mental health issues. So after reading the book, I felt that I had much more, much better understanding of how my choices relate to my physical and mental health and my focus. So in that regard, I found it very helpful. There is a book, all-time favorite, is Place Advantage from Sally Augustine. It's a textbook. It's not very hard to read at all, but it's clearly a scientific book, and it lists 
all sorts of ways how our physical environment impacts on our psychology and performance. And one of the things that uh, you, Jeremy, mentioned is whether it's a tall ceiling or a low ceiling. But she's talking about every conceivable aspect of the physical environment. And Sally Augustine also has a monthly newsletter with uh, research summaries that talk about uh, these topics. I think it's a priceless resource. Something completely off topic in terms of resource, because I think you asked me about apps and technology that I use, and I have to admit that I'm a very low-tech person. I understand technology, but I'm choosing very often to do things manually in old-school ways, and I do that consciously. But there is an app called Print Friendly and PDF, which means that if I go online and I would like to read an article or a paper without all that crap that jumps up on the page, you know, the pop-up ads, the irrelevant ads and links and clutter on the page generally, Print Friendly and PDF app uh, clears it up for you. It gives you the text you need. You can edit it a little bit and you can read whatever you want to read from the internet, just focusing on the text. If I can give myself a plug, I would really recommend anybody interested in the topic of work performance to look at the sources page, pages in my book. Even after careful vetting of all the resources that I drew on for my writing, it's 25 pages of very diverse range of resources, including really easily consumed fun videos, articles, papers, uh, research reports, books. It's very hard for me to pick just one from those. <laughs> yeah, and, and the book itself is very enjoyable to read. I'm, I'm only 25 pages in, but I've found a, a few nuggets of wisdom there already, and I'm looking forward to reading the rest. I'd encourage everyone to have a read too. And and on the book, and Annette, could you tell us more about where people can connect with you or find your work? The easiest way, perhaps, is through my website, which is pizag.com.au. And the book page can be very easily found on the website. And I can also easily be connected via LinkedIn. I'm lucky to have a very unique name and especially surname. So if somebody knows my surname, they can very easily find me, my website and my LinkedIn page. And I'm very open to, you know, being contacted just with any questions or ideas or simply to have a good chat because I, I love talking about the sort of topics that we were exploring today without any agenda. Yeah, thank you, Aneta. It's, it's been a pleasure having you on. Do, do you have any final words or asks for our audience? For our audience? A, a few things probably if I may share quickly. But really would like to encourage everybody, uh, and probably it's already in the spirit of this podcast, that there is no single solution that works for everyone. So we are talking about the sort of strategies that we use for our individual productivity and performance, but ultimately it's really the individual who needs to decide what works for them. And I noticed that a lot of uh, Productivity hacks that work for some certain people are completely different from the mainstream. I can be very productive when I'm by myself, even though there is this common notion that productivity comes from connecting with the team. I can be very connect, uh, calm when I'm listening to 
very intense rock music, which is known not to be calming. And as I mentioned, I can feel really at home in a place that's deep down under the ground level in a building that has absolutely nothing natural about it, and it still feels great. So any listener, you know, when, when they doubt themselves if a certain habit works for them, all that matters is that they experience, experiment with it, and if it works, it really doesn't need to make any logical sense. That's how we are wired. And along the same line, really, when it comes to optimal condition to high performance and productivity, there is no rule that applies to everyone. I, I, I believe the only rule that applies to every, everyone that we all need oxygen to breathe and work well. And apart from that, it's all up to the person. Wonderful. And we'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled and peace out.